0: attention if you're an Eastern whitetail hunter with dreams of hunting elk antelope or mule deer out west but are overwhelmed with the knowledge gap look no further than outdoor class outdoor class features professionally produced courses taught by the world's leading outdoor experts and can be consumed on your phone computer or TV visit outdoorclass.com and start the process of making your hunting dreams come true use discount code Empire 20 at checkout and for 20% off go wild is a free social community created for and by hunters go wild has recently partnered with mountain tough for a free 30-day workout program designed to get you in shape for turkey season called the go wild challenge download go wild to sign up and let everyone know in a go wild post that you're joining us Then, each time you do a workout, tag Go Wild and Mountain Tough to hold yourself accountable. Also, Go Wild will be attending the Great American Outdoor Show February 4th through the 12th. If you're in the area, stop by booth 412, meet the guys, and learn all about Go Wild. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today.
1: On today's podcast, I have guest Rendell Eric. He's been on the podcast now a few times to talk about scouting and hunt recaps. Based in Iowa, much of his focus is on finding and targeting the biggest and oldest bucks that he can find across a variety of public pieces that he keeps tabs on. Today's episode is a little bit different, however. It's more about calling audibles, dealing with challenges, trying to make the best decisions on the fly as possible when plans A, B, and C blow up. Often Rendell Eric fills his tag earlier in the season before the rut really kicks into full gear. This year, after sacrificing a little bit of his season to scout and hunt with a good mutual friend of ours, who had drawn a non-resident tag, he had to really dig deep and hunt throughout the rut, and even into the later gun seasons, he also saw more pressure this year than in years past in his area, and had some drought conditions and crop rotations that made the early season patterns that he was used to a little bit less repeatable than normal. So I think this is a good episode because it looks at how you can take a good mental approach and take the right actions when things aren't going your way. I also want to announce a new platform that I'll be creating content for called Hunt Better. This is an online platform which currently consists of live stream events and original series. On those live streams, you can join in and ask the guest questions to be answered right there in real time. The lineup starting here in February is Andy May, then myself, Shane Simpson, Steve Shirk, Aaron Warbritton, today's guest, Randal Eric, and Jared Scheffler. The two current original series are called Breaking Down the Hunt, which shows polished and concise hunt recaps showing the details, history, terrain, and animated maps explaining how and why a hunt game together, and also a series called Conversations, which are longer format campfire discussions between knowledgeable hunters and woodsmen. On the site right now, there's a one-on-one conversation between two pretty well-known successful hunters from Michigan, John Eberhardt and Andy May. The mission overall is to help preserve hunting culture, especially some of the softer skills usually described as woodsmanship, help promote and protect the future of hunting. It's a subscription-based service, and a portion of the revenue does go directly back into supporting conservation-based organizations. To go check it out, go to huntbetter.us. Before we get started, I have a quick message about the Spartan Forge app, which you can get a 20% discount on by using the code DIY. The app allows you to do all of your standard mapping, navigation in the field, and waypoint management. You can currently choose from three different satellite views, topo and in many areas aerial imagery at multiple time points throughout history view public and private lands color code your permission status on those private lands view all of your forecasted and historical weather info add journaling entries for your hunts that automatically tag the weather conditions and wind for that time period and view a deer movement prediction powered by machine learning based on collared deer studies across the country I also have a walkthrough video posted on my YouTube channel that you can use to physically see the app in more detail. And with that, let's dive back into the episode. All right, so going into the season this year, I know you had some pretty lofty expectations and some big plans, and and you had located a lot of really good deer last year and did a ton of postseason scouting, and you definitely got onto some big bucks throughout the course of the season. Uh, But I know you ran into a bunch of new challenges that you haven't necessarily dealt with in the past as well. So I'm curious, out of the bigger bucks that you did find, either from years past or going into the start of the season, how did all those scenarios play out? I think the
2: most uh, issue I ran into this year that was brand new was actually pheasant hunters. The number of pheasant hunters skyrocketed uh, in all the areas I hunt. And a lot of the big bucks I found were more like CRP, open country areas. So I knew that I would have some challenges if I didn't get on them uh, early into the season. Because <clears throat> uh, pheasant season doesn't come in until like the first week of November, kind of like uh, when the rut kicks off. And then a lot of those bucks didn't show up until uh, like october 15th through 18th uh they shifted in kind of late this year for some weird reason they usually shift sooner than that for me in a lot of these places but that late shift kind of threw me off because it didn't give me a lot of time to uh close in on them and get a solid pattern down that i could move in on so i kind of i think i got in a hurry and i just kind of dove in on those bucks Just started throwing the kitchen sink at them
1: right away. Do you have any thoughts on why they shifted a little bit later this year? Weather, crop rotation, anything else? A lot
2: of the places, uh, all those bucks I found last year were on corn. And this year, everything was in the beans. And I had a hard time locating most of the bucks from last year. Uh, Then bucks that showed up this year are mostly new bucks. I didn't have any previous history
1: with them and we had
2: a really bad drought, which I think really affected the season and even the rut, uh, way more than what people think it did.
1: Interesting. So with new deer coming in that you're trying to basically figure out in real time, do you think that the, all the postseason scouting you did over this prior spring, do you think that helped you quite a bit once you started to see what was going on, or do you think it was less important and the, the real time Intel was kind of the priority? i felt like this season i should have
2: prioritized in-season scouting a lot more because when i did the end-season scouting i was getting on bucks really fast especially like when jared came down and we were putting in 10 miles a day in every day we were finding new bucks uh super quick earlier in october i was relying more on my post-season scouting and hunting those spots and bouncing around and i was having a little bit of hard time uh locating those bucks but i think that crop rotation uh kind of affected that in the drought a lot of the places that are usually wet were pretty dried up so i think that shifted the deer around too but this coming year when everything rotates back into corn you know that post-season scouting i did uh going to help me out this year more than it did over the past season and some of the areas those really giant bucks were in that i was chasing were newer areas that I didn't put the time into. Like I should have post season scouting. I kind of just flew through there and I wasn't really familiar with them. And that kind of hurt me when I was hunting those big bucks. I didn't know how the terrain laid out really well. I was really having to rely on like Spartan forge aerial imagery to try to look at it without putting my center too much pressure in there. And then I'd have to dive in and just hunt it, you know, right away, just a hanging hunt. And then, By the time I made that adjustment, you know, I was like a one step behind that buck. Then those bucks knew, like, oh, you know, he was here today. And it kind of shifted them out of their bedding because I just went right into the bedding areas. I did do some glassing, and I did uh, glass them from afar going into some of these drainages and stuff they were going into. But I just felt like I was a step behind all season long chasing these bucks. Hmm.
1: Yeah. in the place you're at, it's kind of like there's some rolling hills, like not super steep, but definitely some terrain, some little ditches. And generally speaking, the, the higher ground is either like grass or ag and then the drainage systems are more wooded. Is that right? Yeah, this
2: uh, was a newer area. It's just straight flat. It's more like you're hunting out west. It's not not really hilly it's just wide open ag for miles there's a these deep drainages that come in there that have limited trees in them so you you pretty much can only use a saddle i had to hunt really low man you had to to tort yourself to get into some of these trees um there's a lot of crp and then there was crp out on the drainages in this open ag country so the buck could just lay on the edge of that drainage too and that crp and see you coming a mile away so you had to try to make a lot of moves at you know early in the morning in the dark to try to get in there and then i was it's all ag so you're blowing all the does out then if you try to go in in the evening i was trying to go in the drainages like come up them and then there was there'd be deer bedded in the bottom of like a 20-foot drainage which is kind of crazy and then i'd blow them out like i don't know it just kind of kicked my ass honestly
1: yeah well it's a lot different than it sounds like than the uh the buck you killed last year that was a little bit earlier in the season right and that was in like marsh or like close to marsh creek bottom type stuff so you had a lot of tall grass there's just generally a lot more cover i think it sounded like in that particular setup
2: Yeah, that was a straight marsh buck way back deep, uh,
1: October 12th is when I got on him. Yeah, so definitely a little bit different, like wind up to the season getting started. And then I'm curious, you know, you said that when Jared came, uh, that's Jared Schaefer from Tethered came down and you guys hunted together because he had finally drawn his Iowa tag. And you guys started doing all that scouting. What exactly were you guys doing to where, okay, now you're starting to find new deer was it mostly checking on the outskirts for big tracks and hanging cameras on scrapes? Were you guys diving into bedding areas? Were you doing a lot of glassing or were you doing in season that was allowing you to pick up a higher quantity of new deer?
2: We just had a lot of boots on the ground, checking the outer edges of bedding areas that I already knew a lot of them were places that I've hunted before. And I knew about but I just, I hadn't been there yet that season or, when I post-season scout, I usually just try to scout all new areas to kind of add it, like an encyclopedia of spots that I can go try. So some of these areas I haven't even been to in like two years, but I knew they were there. So I, we swung back through there, checked their outer edges for like rubs, scrapes like that. And then we just popped in on a lot of bucks. We bumped some deer right out of their beds and then, uh, made some moves to get right back on him the next day, and he shot that one in the river bottom. We seen that buck in the morning, then went right back in the next morning, and he got that shot on
1: it. Yeah, yeah, I remember that hunt, and that was that was posted on the Tyler YouTube channel. That buck, when you saw him, he was like on the other side of a creek bottom, originally, right? So did he move yeah, all he... the way across to where he saw that buck the day before? Yeah, the morning we seen him, we were on a. <clears throat> it's uh. A
2: river bottom it comes off a of hill country and there's a big travel way they come up and down the sides of the river or they actually use the river and they'll come up through there and there's usually quite a bit of scrapes a big scrape line that runs in there to bedding but the bucks were on the other side of the river coming out of the ag going back to this big bedding area on this little oxbow that was uh to our north mm-hmm. and then the, ne- the next morning you know we made a plan i told them uh some possible trees he can get in and then he went up he went across the river and set up and that he snort wheezed that buck right in out of that ag into that uh transition area between the ag and the bedding
1: gotcha yeah that was a super cool hunt and some of the deer that you guys located not necessarily the one that Jerry killed but there's some other ones that you located it's not like you went after at least one of them a couple more times throughout the course of the rut right and that jared's hunt was i would say what late pre-rut and yeah you're, was... you're typically not a, a rut hunter
2: no i don't like hunting the rut at all i it's really hard to target uh pacific deer during the rut because they're kind of at the mercy of whatever the doe's doing or they leave the area to go find does it's a lot harder to pattern the deer they're just kind of all random which i i knew that but i was on those two bucks you know that were 160 plus that one was like probably i don't know 170 180 and i just got hard ahead and i got locked in on those on that one buck so i tried hunting that buck during the rut, anyways even though i knew better so i wasted a lot of my rut hunting you know hunting those two bucks and then the one buck you're talking about from the tethered video was that horse buck that was on that giant uh car car hood scrape that we found yep so i went in there and there was a couple other shooter bucks in there that were almost as big as him and i did get a lot of pictures of them uh in the rut using that scrape i did see that horse buck one morning i was set up in that tree line on the cornfield and he was already locked down with a doe, but he was a couple hundred yards away. I tried rattling him in, and he came up over to hill and was checking me out, but I couldn't get him to commit
1: to coming in closer. Hmm. So do you think that if you had shifted, instead of trying to hunt specific deer, like either that one or that bigger one I know you're after for quite a while, if you would have shifted over into let's say instead of hunting deer, hunting specific deer, if you had uh, shifted to hunting specific spots that were, you know, pinch points between vetting areas or or what have you, typical rut type areas, do you think you would have upped your odds substantially of maybe having an opportunity at any given good buck?
2: Oh yeah, for sure. I definitely, that's what I normally do when I rut hunt and I felt like that just gives you a way better chance because then you're just catching, any kind of movement coming through the, like the premier spots because I had uh I had other good bucks moving through other areas that I would hunt that were more uh rut type areas adjacent to doe bedding I was picking them up on like my cell cams and stuff so I know if I would have been sitting in there I would have had some chances at some other mature bucks but they weren't you know they weren't anywhere near as big as the uh, other two bucks I was chasing after
1: gotcha do you think next year you would go back to hunting the spots more, or do you think it's going to be really hard to to shake that uh, that want and desire to go after some specific deer that you find, even if it is the rot?
2: Well, my plan is to be tagged out in October, then I don't <laughs> have to worry about it. I can go, I can go to a different state. Uh, I'm going to try to draw Kansas, so it'll be interesting hunting Kansas and Iowa. I'll try to get it done early in both states. But if I do have to rut hunt, uh, I'm just gonna go to hunting spots. I probably won't hunt the typical kind of uh, rut spots a lot of guys do. I'll probably go more towards like the mature buck bedding areas adjacent to doe bedding because I feel like that's where I was picking up a lot of my mature bucks during the rut was in those transition areas between the mature buck bedding and the doe bedding. Hmm. So I like to narrow that down a little bit, but I'll I'll just do a bunch of sits instead of targeting like individual bucks, unless I'm
1: on like a 200 like crazy buck or something. Gotcha. Yeah. And after the rut kind of tapered down this year, you got the opportunity to try some of the gun hunting a late muzzleloader, which I was interested in hearing how you did there because I had done those hunts you know, one each, one shotgun hunt, one muzzleloader hunt in the past. And I, I thought they weren't as easy as people might think just because, you know, the gun season, the shotgun season, I couldn't predict where the public land or private land pressure was going to be. I guessed where public land pressure should have come from based on how it usually is in the places I hunt. And there wasn't a whole lot of public hunting pressure in the particular pieces of public that I chose. But there's a lot of private land pressure where guys would just walk across out their backyards into some random you know place along the public that was really hard to predict, and so that made trying to figure out and uh, yeah be more predictive about the deer movement really hard. And the late muzzleloader was like, and most of the deer were, were betting off of public even if the public had the only standing crops around because the DNR left them there. Like they were clearly coming in there, but it was like your hands were tied. Like you couldn't go find them because you could just follow the tracks right up to the property border and be like, well, they're not bedding here. And they're just waiting until dark before they come down from bedding and get into that food. And it sounded like you had quite the challenging, you know, gun hunts too, just for some of those same reasons, pressure related. Yeah. Um, the one thing I did
2: notice this year, different than most years, uh, the rut was not really strong at all. And I rely on that late rut, that, uh, third week of november,
1: mm-hmm.
2: in november on like the end of archery that's when i usually kill a lot of my giant bucks it seemed like when the rut ended it ended man i mean it was gone and then the deer just dispersed like there wasn't that trickle effect i didn't get mature bucks long lining for the last dose. i mean it was just a hard cutoff, hmm. and it's like everything came at like gone like testosterone levels dropped the does drop the bucks that weren't interested in the does anymore i was and all my uh friends and stuff that live around iowa they all noticed the same thing the intensity of like the seeking phase uh when chasing was really bad this year huh. so the run in general was just not good at all which i think has to do a lot more with the drought than what people think. I think that drought really put a lot of stress on the deer herd. And then uh, going into late season, everything, all this deer drives with shotguns and stuff all over public, uh, blows a lot of the public land out. And then lo- locating the food can be pretty tough because you, you're dealing with IHAPs, you're dealing with uh, Iowa DNR land, and you're dealing with like county conservation and only certain ones tend to leave, uh, crops left over. So you got to do a lot of driving around trying to find out what's left standing. I found a couple different places that had standing crops left, but like you said, uh, most of the deer are betting off public. They're betting on private still after the gun season, the shotgun season ended. And then, uh, we had really janky weather too. Like, I hunted at negative 35 degrees, like, about froze to death for three days straight. And then it got really warm. Then I was out there in like almost a t shirt hunting. And it seemed like those uh, severe cold weather days, you know, the bucks were really pushing out moving even though you think it would be too cold you're like oh buck's not gonna go out in that you know and feed and the wind and stuff but that was like some of the best days was those extreme harsh days if you would find a south facing ridge that dumped down into like a bottom into any kind of cut corn or beans or something or standing food then the deer would move out to that um Ran into a lot of pressure. There was probably more people late season muzzleloader hunting this year than I've ever seen. And in my area, I had guys from other parts of the state pushing into my areas, non-residents. So the deer were getting pushed around quite a bit. It seemed like every time I'd get on a big group of deer, you know, somebody would go blow it up and then I'd have to try to locate another one because they're super sensitive late season. So once you mess it up, they're pretty much gone.
1: Yeah, I remember you saying even down to some of those last final days, get in to find a good area where deer are finally hitting some of that that food. And then, you know, during prime time, a guy will come in and go get his stands that he left out all year.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I know. He couldn't wait like another couple days because I had 20 something deer come out in that field the day before and then right when i go in there he's coming out and he pulled his tree stands and his cameras and blew up all the bedding blew the deer all around and i seen one one deer cuz i went ahead and sat it anyways cuz i was already committed at that point
1: so kind of wild yeah yeah so it was like a you know constant battle of calling audibles whenever something gets blown up and then trying to figure something else out yeah that late season stuff is, is tough. You listen to a lot of people who are good late season hunters and are very successful on big deer. And it seems like almost always the, you know, one of the common denominators I see is unpressured deer, right? Yeah. Just, it's like, oh, it's like the easiest, you know, formula ever. Just hunt unpressured deer on standing crops, staining beans or whatever. It's like, just go find that and you'll find the deer. It's like, yeah, that's easier said than done. I know when yeah, I went down there late season, there was, there was no, yeah, I probably, you know, drove three, four hours around all the different public areas and not one private field that I drove by had standing crops in it. The only standing crops around, around public. And they're all in really easy to access places like right next to the road. Yeah, I hunted some
2: uh, public land that you'd walk a couple hundred yards and you'd be on the standing crops hunting it, but so is everybody and their mom, you know, right. guys piling in behind you. I'd even uh, I'd even pull in and spot check parking lots. I started not even worrying about where I'm going to hunt. I just drive by parking lots trying to find an empty one, you know, and then I'd hit four or five places and then still have to keep going because i hunt a lot of those small small areas we don't have those big giant timbered areas like a lot of states do we're hunting like you know small couple hundred acre pieces sometimes smaller than that Mm -hmm. um you can get into some of those bigger pieces but uh you know you're gonna hike in a couple miles to try to get anywhere good to get away from pressure in the short days and the extreme cold it's just kind of tough because you got to pack all your layers in. you're carrying the giant suits you know to so you don't die out there right and so i prefer i try to hunt like the smaller areas uh late season but if i did roll in somewhere without a deer hunter it'd be a pheasant hunter there it seemed like every time if i went back to those crp places and yeah it was just i don't know it's just a struggle this year It happens
1: though yeah like we were talking about the other day, I mean, if that's your scenario, it's almost easier if you're going to hunt late to go hunt some, you know, southern state with a different rut than it is on some of the places up here. Unless you got, you know, bigger bigger timber where you can find unpressured deer, which still is a possibility on some of the bigger public pieces. You know, pressure a lot yeah. of times tapers down quite a bit. But, yeah, those small, small public pieces and broken ag, totally different story. Or you could
2: uh... – or he'd just try to get free permission somewhere. Yeah, that's true. That's probably, if you're going to hunt late season, I'd push for the free permission. Or I'd go to a, a way lesser zone. I'd get away from, like, zone 4, 5, and 6 and go to some zone that doesn't really have that big of bucks and just get in there. Because I feel like they're probably not going to get pressured as much that time of year.
1: Yeah, well, especially from some of the non-residents, I mean there's certain zones that are known to be better zones. And those are the ones that are attractive to non-residents. And I think they look at how many points it takes to get an archery tag and they're like, uh, well, I can get a muzzleloader tag with, you know, one point or, you know, something like that. And then they go to the same zones. Yep. Uh, and a lot of those guys are coming in with some level of, of, uh, you know, preexisting knowledge and, and, you know, a certain level of work ethic for, you know, even wanting to do an out of state trip like that with a, pretty expensive tag investment. So they're probably going to be maybe a little bit more intrusive than your local guys. And I, I mean, and I could
2: have, I could have tagged out, uh, everywhere I went. I just passed a lot of deer, passed a lot of, I passed a lot deer. A lot of people would shoot just cause I was chasing, you know, that upper echelon class buck, which I knew, you know what I mean? If you're going to chase, uh, you know, one hundred and sixty plus, you better be okay with tagging out, but I did, I passed some 140s and some really good deer that most people would have been plenty happy with, but it just wasn't my goals this year that I set for myself. So I tried to, I tried to stay true to myself, what I set out to do, uh, win, lose or draw, and so I just grinded as hard as I could, and now that season's over, I look back at it. And uh, I learned a ton. There's a lot of things I'm going to adjust, and I think I'm going to do differently. And some things I probably should have adjusted to during this season a little bit more. That now that I got time to like reminisce and just think about everything I did, choices I made.
1: Yeah, let's let's talk about that a little bit. Let's start with things you learned about this year that you should have done this year. What are some of those things?
2: Way more in-season scouting don't hunt pacific bucks i should have hunted more mornings early season i had a lot probably the most activity ever in the mornings early this year than any other year i've hunted on cameras so i should have put more time and effort in the mornings I should, have uh, just threw caution to the wind cause I don't like hunting in the mornings cause it's open ag, you know, you blow out a lot of deer. I should have got a lot more, uh, just with my accessing, I should have got a lot more, uh, kind of throwing stuff out there, you know, just trying to doing creative things, I guess, you know, taking the time to loop way around areas, even if I had to walk like two miles to get in there and tried that out. Um, Just hunting the bigger bucks, too, you just learn they're just a different animal. They act a lot different. A lot of the things they do are different than what the younger bucks do. So chasing them around all season, it was really insightful on like certain things I picked out that the bigger bucks would key in on that the little ones wouldn't. Like, using the drainages, security cover. They were hardly, they were never out in, really, the open, really. They'd always hug something. Um, especially, like, the CRP. They use the CRP like a thermal wall. Even the corn, they'd move a lot more in the corn than what you would expect. they just stay out in there and run a couple edges to get around, like, openings and things. Never really come into the scrapes. They'd always stay way downwind of the scrape. Like, 40 50 yards sometimes more than that and just scent check at them way out there and then you wouldn't even be able to get close enough to them because there's you know little options for trees yeah um i noticed that they didn't when the rut kicked in um they they probably stayed until like at least the 12th before they broke off to go chase other does so they were still in the core range you know so i say you can't chase you shouldn't chase a pacific buck during the rut but i still had that early uh you know that window that first week out november i could have got on them if i could have figured it out but the does were pulling them all over you know they weren't doing like a pacific thing they were kind of just all over the place yeah so um The drainages were really interesting. How they were using them. There was a lot of benches in the drainages that they were using. That if I would have found them earlier, if I would have did the postseason scouting, I could have slid in through the corn, and uh, hunted those drainage benches because they're either betting on them or they are running on them. You know, to go in and out. There's like an alfalfa field they were going through, the drainage to get to. So, they had the standing corn on both sides. So, it was kind of like they were in a timber, even though they were out in the middle of that open
1: ag, you know. So, when you say drainage in that scenario, you're talking about a non timbered drainage where it's maybe like a ditch within a cornfield?
2: Yeah. Just a big, like 20 foot deep ditch that runs through. It's like a creek drainage that runs out to the main river. And there, there's a couple trees in there. I mean, if you were going to hunt in there, I could only get. A couple of feet off the ground, and they'd be right on top of you. I filmed a couple of bucks going by me on one of those drainage benches when I found them. Pretty interesting setup.
1: And how big are the actual benches? Are usually just like wide enough for a deer to walk on, or? Yeah, wide enough for me or a deer. Maybe a couple of feet wide, if that. So it's pretty obvious if you're walking in, you can see those benches and maybe see trails that are laid out on the grass.
2: Oh, it looked like a wind tunnel trail yeah in hill country eat down you could you could see it a mile away once you came over the edge of it
1: hmm. yeah that's interesting cuz those drainages like that especially late in the late in the evening I mean, a lot of that scent probably pulls down in there and slowly just drifts down that whole drainage so if they're coming from further down the drainage and coming toward the head of it to get where they're going then that makes the the wind and thermal aspect probably pretty tough to set up on, I'd imagine. Yeah, I tried
2: to set up on winds that were blowing right down the drainage. So it would just blow my scent straight down, which is a little tricky because once the deer gets by you, you know, it's going to pick you off. So you just hope that, you know, I got close enough to where I thought he was bedded at, which I seen uh, a couple times glassing. I saw where he dropped off into the drainage So I tried to slide in as close as I could, which is, I mean, really risky. I mean, I bumped a couple, a couple times. I blew some bucks out of there. I got too close, uh, trying to set up in the afternoon.
1: Yeah. So if you're going for an afternoon setup there, you know, thermals are still coming up depending on whatever the wind's doing. Are you coming? Like, let's say the let's say the drainage runs left to right and like the deepest part of the drainage is to the left and it gets shallower as you go further to the right. Are you accessing from either like the top or the bottom and basically just trying to head perpendicular to that drainage, just close to where you think that deer is going to be as possible and just pop over the edge. Yeah, I tried that and I tried actually coming down the drainage itself,
2: climbing over all the logs and stuff just to get in there close enough to get up into a tree to catch them coming out on that drainage bench or I a lot of times I did uh pop over that edge I tried to stay back um but right when you pop over that edge man they're on you quick I don't know how they find see you that quick but (laughs) man right when you pop over and look they're got you man it's crazy
1: huh so then of course
2: it doesn't help I'm six foot eight either so they probably see me quicker than they would see you (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. What other things did you learn I guess this year that were either mature buck tendencies that you thought were noteworthy or just things that they did this year that you weren't anticipating?
2: Uh just how far they were coming to that uh that area I was hunting. I they were bedded pretty far away, more further than what I thought and then the scrape they're hanging way further back from the scrapes than what i thought they would like i know they go down one of the scrapes and they don't really come into them much they scent check them first and they swing in but the distance that they were scent checking was way further than what i thought it would be and that type of terrain so i don't know if just the wind or the air or something's different where it uh, travels further and that terrain type. I was that kind of threw me for a loop because I was pulling back to set up to catch them coming into the scrape, but then they'd be back, you know, way even further than that.
1: So you'd almost and have to I set up like you know, 20, 30 yards downwind of the scrape, and then maybe you'd have a shot totally opposite when they get downwind to you.
2: Yeah, it must be like sixty yards away, huh.
1: sixty seventy yards. I think now on that one particular area. And is there any sign at all when they would do those downwind loops of the scrapes? Like, is it would you be able to scout in say postseason and find a big scrape and then go take a you know sixty yard loop downwind of it and be able to tell like, oh, here's why I should set up to take advantage of this, of this uh, particular bucks you know set and check in that scrape. Or is it just kind of trial and error and maybe you see one moving?
2: Yeah, you'd have to see it in person because there's not going to be a trail or anything. Like, it wasn't defined like that. They would just swing out. Those hmm. two bigger bucks would always
1: just loop way out. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I, the moment I try and do that and set up, like, you know, 70 yards one of the scrape, then I'll be able to see a big one, like, sitting right on the scrape.
2: Yeah, I mean possible it's probably <laughs> what's gonna happen to me next year when I get in there <laughs> and then it's like man when you're throwing the kitchen sink you start getting a little frustrated too and you're like uh second guessing yourself you know a little bit maybe your setup and then you start going through that rabbit hole in your mind you know where you second guess uh certain setups there was one setup that I should have did and I probably would have got that bigger buck but I second-guessed myself and didn't do it, and he rolled right in there to that scrape in broad daylight, and I was like, oh, (laughs) he got me. Like, that one time he rolled into that scrape, I decided not to do
1: what I was going to do, and then it cost me big time. Well, wasn't the reason you decided not to do that because of, like, a really dicey wind on that scrape?
2: yeah I had the dicey wind and my
1: setup was insane
2: like I had does walking right underneath my feet because there was this one crazy tree I had to get in and I just felt like I wasn't I was not covered up enough. I already left all my scent in there um the way I had to access that place was not a good access at all. I should have accessed a, a totally different way than what I did, but I didn't know the area that good because I didn't do enough scouting postseason in there. So it was just kind of a cluster from the get-go, but I don't know. My gut was like, oh, I should come right back in here the next day and just leave my set and hunt it. And then I blew some does out of there too because it was in a really sensitive area, you know, trying to get out in the afternoon. I blew a lot of deer out. And I don't know, I think that just mentally was like, oh, I just ruined this spot, you know. Then I decided to sit another spot further away, and then that buck, looped in downwind which it's possible he could have picked me off you know but i felt like i don't know the wind speed and thermals i might have got away with it but you never really know I, he could have picked me off he came through that standing corn and then jay hooked into that scrape so i'm pretty sure he hit my scent trail you know where i accessed and a not a great way he probably hit it feeding at night or something and it probably tipped him off and then he looped around downwind yeah, and cut in there, it still messes with your mind. Like, oh man, if I would have been in that set, you know, what what could have happened?
1: Right. I mean, I never really know. But it still, it still weighs on you a little bit. Right. Yeah, I definitely have a number of those throughout the course of the season for sure. Now, what things did you learn from this year that you're going to be able to apply to next year, either scouting now or? Thinking ahead to, to various setups. I mean, you can probably imagine that the crop rotation might be different. So maybe this year's totally different than last year. But what are your thoughts?
2: I'm going to push further away from home, um, scout more new areas. Definitely tried to add to the inventory so I can try to get away from the pressure better. Pick up many bucks as I possibly can. I like to have like 10 to 15, but I think I'm going to try for even more than that this year, uh, just cause the pressure's ramping up. Um, I need to be locked in early season on certain areas. If I'm hunting any kind of CRP, I need to be in there in October hunting it no matter what I need to, before pheasant season opens, it's just going to blow them out. So I might as well blow it out instead of them, you know, it gives me a chance to get in there yeah, before all the pheasant guys do. So that's one thing I'm going to change. Um, if I roll into somewhere do the uh, put the time in postseason you know just don't run through it because there's a couple of those spots I found later towards summer and you know it was greening up soon so I just kind of blew through them really quick and I didn't slow down enough to pick them apart as good as I probably should have so really concentrating on um, just like Taking the time to learn the terrain, which I think that's where postseason scouting shines. It's just learning like where the deer kind of bed, all the terrain access. And then I think I'm going to really ramp up my in season scouting. You know, go out in the mornings every day and just put boots on the ground until about midday and then go set up. I'll probably hunt in the mornings a little bit more than I did. Yeah. You know, the last couple of years too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that'll, that'll make sense. It's, it's kind of like one of those trade-offs where it's like the more, more ground you cover and the more deer you try and find, it makes it harder to put the amount of detailed scouting you need to really learn the spots. But then you put a lot of detailed scouting in to try and learn specific spots and then you don't cover as much ground. And, you know, if if you lose two or three of the deer that you're after in there, then you're kind of back at square one. It's always tough striking that balance.
2: Yeah, it's a give-take. I think as you get better at scouting and you get experience and stuff, though, like I need to – there's some things. I'm more like what's-over-the-hill kind of guy, and I don't know if I need to be that guy anymore. I just need to know what's going to work for me, you know, my system, where I find the big bucks. You know, I don't need to look under every cranny and nook. I just need to go into – you know, what I feel is going to be the best possible areas. And sometimes there's like some overlying areas, you know, you want to check out, but I don't know. It's like, I don't, sometimes I waste my time scouting, you know, you get off over here looking around at something that just never pans out. You know, I just need to dive in, yeah. pick apart the way I do. Maybe spend some more time e-scouting on Spartan Forge and stuff, trying to, uh look at it before i ever even go there more in-depth especially with like the shaded relief now and some other options they got that i can really dial it in at the house and then dive out there and look around i did notice this year there was more big bucks by the roads man like it was insane like everywhere i was going everything was pretty close to the parking lots or they were living by roads you could just dive off the side of the road even those uh, some of those giant bucks I were on, I wasn't having to go in super far to get to them. It seemed like everybody was hunting super deep and it was pushing all the deer out to the edges. So I think I want to spend more time, uh, scouting the edges too, a little bit, just flying through there and looking for like the premium mature buck bed spots that I would think they'd be at close to roads and things. Yep.
1: Yeah, that all makes sense. It- we've talked before I'm planning on trying to capitalize on some of the similar type of observations. The the deer I ended up killing this year in Wisconsin was about the same size as a deer that I'd passed a little bit earlier. That was literally like 80 yards from the road.
2: Uh, the other, the other big thing I want to concentrate on is man, just being healthy, man. I got sick a bunch. Like, uh, I didn't make it to Nebraska in September because I got COVID and when I went to Missouri after having COVID for two weeks, that really hurt me bad. Like, you know, your your body's exhausted. So when I was out trying to scout in Missouri, um, it was tough on me. And then trying to hang and hunt in the afternoons in the heat. It's like 100-something degrees every day almost. But I got on some good bucks uh, in Missouri, that I was chasing around. I just never got on them. I passed some, I passed some legal bucks I could have shot, but they weren't as big as a couple of the other bucks that I found. And then Iowa open, I got sick, like, I don't know, two or three times. And I was just kind of like, I don't know, kind of out of shape a little bit. So I feel like being in better shape. I really revved that up. I've been going to the gym every day, lifting weights and running and stuff and taking out vitamins and trying to have a, but be- eating a lot cleaner, you know, eating more yeah. protein and, I feel like, I mean, you don't have to be, you know, some big muscle bound guy to deer hunt or anything, but being in pretty good shape for mobile hunting, I think is uh, pretty important because I'm, you know, you're walking miles scouting and you're hanging and hunting every single day. You're climbing trees, you're setting sticks, platforms, you know, it's a lot of stuff we go through. So I feel like just the type of hunting that we do, I feel like it's really overlooked the more the more I push myself to go further and harder, it feels like, you know, you got to start in the off season, get that dialed in a little bit better for me.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it comes into play when you're making the decision to go the extra mile or not. If you're in shape, it's that much easier to be like, yep, I'm going to go do that. And you're climbing some weird wonky tree, it's just that much easier to have better body control and it being a little bit safer climbing some of those, climbing some of those weird trees. Make the drag make the drag out a lot easier has a lot of good reasons to to be in relatively good fitness
2: yeah and it's just things you learn over
1: time like as you
2: start hunting more and more and more days and you know you don't tag out as early as you want you're stuck in the woods hunting (laughs) pretty hard grinding it out you know you're like oh god let me lose some weight but i don't know It can all sound like excuses, too, but, I mean, if you don't get it done, you don't get it done, but, I mean, it's
1: just stuff I take away that
2: I need to work on.
1: Yeah. yep, same here. I always got a list at the end of the season of all the stuff I should do better next year, and I keep trying to refine that list every year. And then uh, I think drowning out the noise, too, man,
2: social media, dude. When you're looking at 100 pictures a day of guys killing bucks and you're struggling (laughs) – it can be tough, man. And then, uh, and when you're trying to talk to a ton of people and help a ton of people out while you're hunting and you're looking at maps for them and answering questions, it can be, it can take time away from you a little bit. You might not be as polished as you need to be, you know, as sharpened on your own hunting because you're helping, you know, a lot of hunt. You know, a lot of newer guys that want to get into mobile hunting or they just started saddle hunting or they're just getting into bed hunting. You know, I try to help out as many people as I can. So, yeah, I mean, that kind of slows you down because I'm not used to that yet. So, adjusting to that, I need to get a good grip on that. Um, and just like pushing out all the noise, man, you got a lot of doubt and people that are asking you every day hey, where's your big buck man where's your big buck i'm waiting for you to kill a big buck <laughs> you know all my buddies are texting me and i'm like oh my god you know and putting the pressure on you
1: <laughs> yeah that's uh it 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 does it does get a little bit easier um but i will say that just from my point of view um when you are helping people out like you just you know you're not going to be as effective as if you're just like total, you know, hermit mode and just totally focused on only your stuff. But at the same point in time, it's, you know, a lot of that stuff's rewarding, especially if they, some guy you helped out shows you a picture of, you know, a deer they killed. Even if it's like the first one or whatever, it makes you feel pretty good. Oh, yeah, that's awesome, man.
2: When guys get their first big buck or they get on their, own, their first buck bed and they get it done or they even find a buck bed i get a lot more enjoyment out of other people than i do myself honestly like i'd rather a new guy that i'm helping out smoke a giant than me it's just the way i am but -hmm. but. oh another thing i ran into was gear man i was trying like prototype gear and all these different sticks i was switching it out of like trying out a lot of different gear when i'm hunting man and that was like switching in and out of setups it kind of slows you down because you got to learn like the ins and outs of all the different setups you're running and so that was different too because i normally just go into the season with one setup and that's what i'm running but this year i was trying out all kinds of different things just to see like what i liked what i didn't like what i thought you could tweak on this or that and that was pretty interesting doing that and then trying to hunt at the same time. Because sometimes it took me a lot longer to set up or it was harder to get in certain trees because I switched out to some some other type of stick I wanted to mess around
1: with. So that made it kind of weird to try it out too many,
2: too many setups.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely hard to do that stuff in the season. You, you end up having a number of hunts where it's like, you know, the minute that you're in the tree, like this is not like this is going to change the instant that I get home. and it kind of takes your focus away from the hunt (laughs) (laughs) but
2: yeah i don't know but i feel like nothing's a loss you don't truly fail you only fail when you quit like i kept grinding i kept getting after it i tried stuff i probably would never try like some of the setups i hunted were just crazy insane like i didn't even think it was gonna work and i hunt some crazy stuff already (laughs) Hey man, I'm just throwing the stuff out there, seeing what sticks, how the deer react to it. And just being on that class of bucks uh, is pretty blessed, you know, because a lot of guys, man, they go a lifetime and they never get to hunt, you know, that quality of deer, or that big of bucks. You know, they'd give anything to be up here in Iowa hunting where I'm at, chasing around these booners and stuff. So, mm-hmm. I don't know, at the end of the day, you know, it's still a blessing that. I got to be out in Mother Nature and chase those deer, and I learned a ton. So I think it'll set me up in the long run. You know, I just want to get better every day at being a better hunter. And that's my main goal is just to get better myself as
1: much as I can. Yeah, and speaking of becoming a better hunter, you will be producing content amongst you know a bunch of other guys for the New Hunt Better platform. Uh, I think you're scheduled in March I want to say for one of the live streams and you'll probably have a couple hunt breakdowns that'll be on that platform as well.
2: Yeah March 16th I'm going to be on the live stream to take everybody's questions and then uh, I'm going to be filming uh, hunt breakdowns on a lot of my bucks so they can get an in-depth analysis of how I went into these areas and access and located and what I keyed in on the setup on these giant bucks that I get on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I'm pretty excited about that platform. I think uh it'll be a good way for a lot of guys who don't traditionally put out a lot of social media content or YouTube videos, but are very successful in, you know, multitude of different ways to be able to get out and share their two cents and their experiences and their histories. Yeah, it'll definitely help with the uh just the production of it, the high quality
2: of the filming, everything's top notch, you know, some of the top guys in the industry uh, coming together to share knowledge and combine skills to help put it out there where guys can better understand what's going on, on these um, upper tier guys that are out in the woods getting it done consistently and they can get dialed in and Uh, go out in their backyard and try to get it done the way that a lot of these guys do too
1: yeah absolutely and then if people are interested in otherwise just following you on social media Instagram or Facebook or both I do both and that's Rendell underscore Eric for Instagram that's correct and they can just look up Rendell Eric
2: for Facebook
1: That'll do it for this week's episode. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Empire on Instagram and Facebook, leave a five-star review on iTunes, and if you're looking for additional content from myself, subscribe to DIY Sportsman on YouTube and hit the bell icon to be notified of new videos. You can also follow DIY underscore Sportsman on Instagram. And with that, thanks for listening.